Welcome to the Pitch to Scale podcast, where we share the secrets from Australia's first and only angel group that specifically invests in female-led startups. In this series, we profile our scale angels and the amazing female founders that we meet. Join me, your host, Catherine Robson, a proud scale angel myself, to explore the thrills and spills of this exciting investment class, which offers the opportunity to shape the tomorrow we really want. I have the pleasure to sit down with my friend, Vicky Papakristos, and talk specifically about her journey investing in startups. Vicky's insights into what it takes to be a good investor in early stage companies is invaluable. She comes with super credentials. She's a chemical engineer by background and has an MBA, but also has been an executive and non-executive director of both not-for-profit and big corporates and has successfully invested in multiple startups. I hope you enjoy her insights as much as I enjoyed talking with Vicky. Vicky, hi. Hi. What was it that attracted you to becoming an angel investor? Oh, that's quite a good question, actually. I decided when I was in my younger days developing my career, I didn't have any knowledge of how to go about asking people to help you with your career and to achieve the goals you want to achieve. And then I heard about scale and I'm on this, you know, passionate space for women and developing and I work with young women to give them courage and be brave to get out and do the things they want to do with their careers. And scale seemed to quite interesting. So I thought, I'll better go and have a look at this and see what's going on. And uh, quite a few of my friends were involved in it. For example, Lauren from Upstairs and Michael Agar. And they thought it was terrific as well. So it was all new and exciting and it felt good. And so so it was the attraction to scale rather than necessarily wanting to get into angel investing. Is that how your journey started? Yeah, I think it was more to scale than angel investing. And I really didn't know much at all about angel investing. And that's probably one of the other really attractive things about scale. Every time, every journey with scale is an educational activity and I learn a lot, I start to understand things. I'm still quite a novice. And it's funny because occasionally I get told I'm so experienced or you know, one of the you know, old hands at it, which is completely hilarious. But it's great to learn. And it's such a new space that I'm so enjoying the learnings. Well, and it's interesting you say you feel like a novice because I think in the startup landscape, you're always seeing business opportunities that are different from one another. And depending on what sort of angel investing you do, they're often representatives from a whole range of different industries. So you're never going to feel like you're an expert in everything. Is it, Yeah, is that that's true. That's, that's exactly right. And there are some of the areas that we look at that are totally foreign and really exciting. Can you think of a couple of yeah. specific examples? Oh, well, one of my favourite ones, of course, is Mimic Tech. We love Mimic Tech. The robotic chickens or robo chicks, as some people have nicknamed them. Because we, I've never worked in the agricultural farming uh, animals space. And that that's so interesting to learn about that. Another one that really caught my interest recently, even though I, I was a bit of a latent follower, was GoTerra with the black soldier flies. And what I find with when you when I start to learn about all the different uh, all the different businesses is how much 
it opens a whole space of knowledge in a different way in a area that I've never operated before. Yeah, so Goterra was the combination of traditional agriculture, so as you say, raising larvae to then use as feedstock with new technologies, so Internet of Things that then enabled the um, farming to be done very intensively and in a very low-cost way. You come from an engineering background. How important do you think your own background is to be able to successfully assess deals that you look at? I have a very analytical capability. I don't work as an engineer. I, I don't. I wouldn't say I've worked in marketing and customer and uh, new products pretty much most of my life. But that all that background and all the knowledge I've gained over the years has helps me get to where I'm going and understanding these new businesses. And what's fantastic about them, uh, most of them, pretty much all of them, there. You know, I know. I will be doing, they will be our future. I know these companies will be integrated in the way we run our lives in the future. GoTerra is a good example of that because we do have, and we probably shouldn't speak all the time about GoTerra because we didn't get that deal. (laughs) Well, and so I think that's an interesting point. So, I mean, at scale, we looked at it, we did due diligence, we felt, and we had a group of investors who wanted to go ahead. And then the entrepreneur decided to take capital from another source. So just because, I mean, so what was your take on that? I'm always about relationships. And I don't think we spent enough time establishing a relationship. I had a discussion with one of my very close scale friends and I asked her, I said to her, where are they located? I had no idea. And we said, we worked out it was Canberra. And I said, did anybody go and have a look? And none of us, from what I know, went to have a look. So I think a lot of what's important with scale is the relationship. And the relationship we established with the startup, uh, with entrepreneur, and also the relationship we developed together with the entrepreneur. And for example, the one I've been working on more recently quite uh, in a, as a co-lead with uh, Penn Lewin is Galileo. And I'm in love with Annette King. She's Who's fantastic. The she's the co-founder. She's so solid. She's mature. You, I have a lot of regard for her. We've, and Penn and I actually said, we need to get to know her. So we called her up and she said, oh, you want to get together? What for? <laughs> and not because she didn't want to get together with us, but she was, uh, she thought, wow, okay, this is great. So we got together, we had lunch, we had a really nice time. I know she was on her guard a lot of the time, but since then things have eased off and it's a lot more engaging. She doesn't think twice about picking up the phone and calling me and vice versa. So there's that part of the relationship. We even asked her if we could go to her office and she said, well, you can come to my home. <laughs> <laughs> the usual startup in the garage or wherever, in the back room at home type of environment. But I suppose that's how it is. So you've led three deals um, in the time that you've been with Scale. What's important about leading a deal? Oh, there's a lot of work to do. There's quite a lot more than you think, and it, and you get you get more. You get more practised at it and know what to look for and know what needs to be done. And you also get better at delegating (laughs) as well. So, 
making sure that you're getting the PwC guys to really help, the girls there or guys there. We've had guys and girls are fantastic. They're smart. And so their role, what's their role in the process? Their role is to do a lot of the running around and the legwork, the research, putting the documents together, even at times doing a first draft of sections or writing out little headings that people with the experience can add to it. For example, I often get asked... So this asked, is in the deal memo? This is in the deal memo and in looking at the research. Often because of my marketing background or customer background, I get asked to look at the addressable market and I'll sit there and go, oh gosh, where do I know? I don't know where to look at the addressable market for... Black soldier flies, Black for soldier flies, for yeah. example. Lucky I didn't get asked to do that one. But the the work that's required is quite detailed, but it's also quite specific. So can you talk through from, you know, we get to, you know, we've been through screening, we've been to Investor Forum, we've decided we want to go ahead with due diligence. Um, you decide that you like it so much you want to be a deal lead. What happens from there all the way to, you, to, you know, us closing the deal? So often what happens, this is the fun part of scale, Somebody says, I want such and such to work with me on this deal. And Pen, Penelope and I decided we wanted to work together. I don't know who asked first, but it kind of happened. And one of the things, this is what I love about scale. I love the women and men, the scale males, as we call them, that you meet and you get to know. You get to know them and you get to understand who they are, what their passions, interests, experience, capabilities are. So from in a, the situation with Galileo, uh, Penelope and I said, okay, these are the things we like in it, we like the business, we like, we want to go, we, we ask ourselves straight up front, would I invest in this business? And the answer is yes, at that stage. Now let's go prove it to ourselves. And let's make sure we cross all the T's and dot all the I's, the usual activity. And there is a pretty good formula developed by the first CEO, Laura McKenzie, who is wonderful. She um, she developed a very systematic approach to doing a, a due diligence. So I won't rattle off all the parts at the moment. I'm sure they're written down somewhere better than my memory bank. And from that... Uh, we allocate out the work so and we think who do we know that can do this and it usually falls into about five different sections so and it's usually whoever's shown on the uh, one of the key things that has to happen is you have to get people early on before we decide to do a due diligence to show their interest levels and if there's enough money there to for us to be confident we can go back to the entrepreneur and say we're going to raise x hundreds of thousand dollars or whatever the amount is we all then put that process in place and we'll allocate the work out and so in terms of um the specific roles of the lead presumably you have to keep it moving and keep people accountable and make sure that um we deliver back to the entrepreneur, the clarity about what we're doing and why, and you're really as the lead, the conduit between absolutely. scale and the entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. We the lead has to, or the co-leads. That's why it's good to have a co-lead. I haven't tried or thought about it all actually whether you would have three, but I think three gets harder to coordinate diaries. It's easy to, for 
me to pick up the phone and say, hey, Pen, when are you free or can we talk about this, than having three because then you'll have the scale personnel as well, whether that, that's Ariane or the um, or, or the, the PWC person involved. So that's already creating complexity. And setting up the weekly calls is really important and setting timelines like anything that's on a fast track, because it is a really fast track project in many ways. It doesn't. It seems like a long time, six to eight weeks, but it goes so fast because we all have other lives as well. And that's one of the more challenging parts of being a scale investor is you, you, you don't become a scale investor just because you have nothing else to do in your day. It's quite the contrary, actually. Most of the women and men that are in scale are really busy people, but they have a great desire to participate and the engagement is excellent. So back to back to running a due diligence, the setting the timeline, setting the activities, letting people know I need this by then, and people are great. We're all professional in some capacity or another and we all know what needs to be done so it just gets done. And keeping the momentum going is really, the, that's the hardest part. After investment, the deal lead then becomes the sort of key relationship manager. So sometimes the deal leads will go on to the board of the um, company that we've invested in uh, if we've led the round. But even if we don't take a board seat, there's often that ongoing role. And part of that responsibility is thinking about ongoing capital management if additional capital is needed and if follow-on rounds are appropriate. How has that process been for you, that whole ongoing piece? For follow-on rounds for me, the the hardest part is managing what you're already working on. Uh, for example, at the moment, I'm looking at a follow-on round as well as a new investment. Actually, yes, so let me start that again. <laughs> for, uh, follow, for follow on rounds at the moment is a very good example of that is I'm looking at a reinvestment into Mimic Tech as well as an investment into Galileo. And I've just been asked whether I'll reinvest into First Step. And I just haven't got the capacity at the moment, not just uh, financially probably, yes, but more... I. I can't push that much through at the moment because there's too much else going on. So it's like a cognitive yeah, budget. There's that's only right. so many things but, that you can assess and do a good job of the yeah, analysis. Yeah. And also with follow and round, there are a lot of things to consider. You looking at what the how the business is going. Often what happens is they're doing a pivot, which is not unusual. First step is doing a pivot at the moment, which is And so when you say a pivot, that's moving from what their initial idea was that for whatever reason they don't want to go forward with and they're changing direction into something new. Exactly, yeah, or into a new target market. So First Step is a very good example of that. They started off as a very strong B2C business and I even had, I started some discussions with them about three months ago to say, I don't think you're getting enough traction. I'm not seeing it everywhere. I'm not feeling like this is growing. Let's look at your marketing plan. So we've had a, a discussion on how you're going to get more customers. And they discovered fairly quickly, not because of our conversation, but because the work they've been doing, they're much better off as a B2B, custom, uh, 
B2B company. Yeah. Yep. And so they're now working a lot with a lot of uh, big corporates, mainly in the banking industry, as well as I would say superannuation and the, the wealth game in pushing this product out as a white label product. And so that feels really good. And then the questions I start to ask myself are, well, are they letting the B2C space go for the wrong reasons or are they doing the right thing in going to a, a full B2B? And I, I don't know the answer to that and it, uh, I haven't had time to find out all those answers. So time is the hardest part for the investors, I think. In the follow-on round stage, is it also hard to assess whether you're being guided by sunk cost bias, the sort of, I've already put money into this in the seed round or the Series A, I don't want to lose that money, so I should put some more money into Absolutely. the follow-on round. How do you take a, enough of a step back to make sure that you're investing for, in the follow-on rounds for the right reason? It's, it comes pretty naturally, I think. You feel good about what they're doing. You're, the results that they've said they're going to do or get are coming forward and you develop an affinity or not you I I've developed a knowledge base affinity desire interest comfort that this business is doing what I expected it to do and I'm happy to keep uh, investing in it to keep it growing because that's part of the deal you know they're going to need more money down the track so it's whether they get it from you or from others and that's always part of the equation as well. Where's the money going to come from? What about exits? So what's your experience been with exits? Almost nothing actually at the moment. Uh, I don't think we've had any exits at scale. I think we're close to one, but I, and I, I don't think we've think had we've a couple had of any. what we would call scale away deals. So deals that didn't go through the normal process that some angels went off and did on the side that have had some yes. quite good exits, but not under the no, strict scale portfolio. No. And I haven't been involved in any. So I've been involved in acquisitions in my other life, but not in exits at all. So I can't really comment on that. But uh, I'm sure there's, there's, we all look for an exit at some stage. Or, And in fact, with one of the uh, businesses, Trademark Vision, uh, Lauren and I have had several discussions because because it's not hard she lives about four floors up <laughs> and we bump into each other in the garage usually and so we've talked about how there's so much opportunity in that particular business and at times the the entrepreneurs and the founders and the team want to take it at a different pace so they're happy to go a bit more slowly than you yeah. would probably like. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, I didn't get to invest in that one. And there hasn't been a subsequent round, which we're all sort of sitting there chomping at the bit going, when are they coming back for some more money? And so I even said to Lauren, I said, why don't you look at an exit and see what happens there and whether that's going to change the game somewhat. So it, there's no formula it's uh, there's processes and uh, ways of doing things but there's no formula in terms of the deals you've looked at in the years that you've been an angel investor is there any sort of common theme around businesses or entrepreneurs that you feel are destined to be more successful than others yes definitely it's hard to well there's probably three 
parts to it, just thinking out loud. One is the entrepreneur. If you don't like them, and like is very personal. personal, but if you don't feel that they are going to stick around, they're committed, they're engaged, all those sorts of things, then that's you're never even going to put your name in the observing pile or in the observing list for on the uh, on our database the next part is do you like the business do you like what they're trying to do is it part of your value system your engagement the things you see as important in your life down the track and the third part is does it have a market is it something that it really will kick. There have been a few and I can't think of them right now. Oh, one of the ones that I thought, great idea, fantastic entrepreneur, really good business sense, good market, but everyone, there's so much competition, it's not unique, was uh, Charlie's Chocolates. Love the business, it's beautiful product. The lady running it was is astounding. She's a dynamo, but I thought, this is just more chocolate and I have no shortage of opportunities to buy chocolate. So I didn't really uh, participate, didn't think I wanted, I knew I didn't want to participate in that. So there are a lot of factors for being involved or moving forward. Any mistakes you've made as an angel investor along the way that you've learnt from? Oh, Data Creative was an interesting one. I had so much fun with that one. Firstly, I got to meet and work. I met and worked with uh, one of my favourite angels, Annie Havercroft, and we both decided we have a girl crush on each other. And now we're still really good friends. We chat every couple of weeks, if not more often. And we almost did the business plan for the entrepreneur and said, you need to do this, you need to put these people in place as soon as you get the money, hire these people, do that. And we had all our money all lined up and she then said, I don't want your money because I've hired the two people you told us we should hire and they're putting in sweat equity. So we're going, oh, okay. So that was one of the mistakes being... And so the mistake is to effectively invest before you've invested. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but you have to. You just have to. So for me and for Annie, I know because we've spoken about it, we won't ever look at that business again. Whereas, for example, if Olympia from GoTerra comes back, we would and we would do things differently or I, I would be more interested. And I wasn't at the start, but that's okay. I had other things going on. That's probably the hard part. You can't do everything all the time. So that's the knowledge for that, how to, to move that forward again. Any other mistakes or, or mistakes you've seen other angels make that you've learnt from? One of the key issues I think we have as a business is we have so much capability and knowledge we don't have time to put that forward. There is so much talent in the group. It is unbelievable. We could run full time if we were all available. We could run all these companies and they would all be successful, hugely successful. So one of the things that we don't 
we haven't worked out how to do yet is how do we channel that knowledge? For example, very good example is how I looked at first step and thought this is not going where I want it to go or where I think it should go. And sometimes you, not you, but sometimes I think, well, maybe I'm being unrealistic or I'm giving myself more credit than I'm due, but I don't think so. I know what I know and I know what needs to be done to make a business successful in the marketplace in a consumer area. That's that's what I've done all my life. And But it's not my business. I've invested in it, but it's not my business. So how do we channel that capability is something that I think we need to work out as scale investors because the talent is around the table. Would you, if scale didn't exist, do you think you would continue to be an angel investor on your own? No, although there's, as a scale investor, you, I have developed a lot of contacts and people call often. Even this afternoon, I'm having a meeting with a couple of the guys that run a startup fund, an angel investment fund. And they pop out of nowhere. LinkedIn has gone mad. The minute you put investor on your CV, they you get people from everywhere calling you and contacting you. So it's very flattering, of course, but <laughs> not necessary. Would I do it? I'd probably do it in more of a simple individual way. So I would probably get a lot more involved in Mimic Tech or in uh, in Galileo. And in fact, what's quite terrific is in Galileo, the way the contract is being written, there is an opportunity as investors, if we participate in growing the business, which means introductions to big corporates and other potential clients, we actually benefit from that. In addition in to addition the return to, on capital. In, absolutely. In addition to that, we get a lot more uh, equity and value back to us as individuals and as a collective. And so finally, any other thoughts on your experience being an angel investor? Oh, I think for anyone who's thinking about becoming one, take a deep breath and take the plunge and go for it. Just give yourself enough time to enjoy it and learn. The learning is off the radar fantastic. That's probably, that's my second best part of being a scale investor. My best part is my contacts and the friends and business contacts that I'm making along the way. And what it's done for me is it's shifted from me just making friends to me making friends that I will do business with. And that's quite a challenge for females generally. So this is a really excellent platform for us to achieve that. Well, it's fantastic. Thank you so much, not only for spending some time today, but uh, also all of the hard work on the deals that you've led because that leadership really enhances the uh, prospects for success. Thank you. It's great. I find the investors and entrepreneurs I meet through Scale absolutely inspiring and learn so much from every conversation. If you feel the same and would like to get involved, visit us at scaleinvestors.com.au and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
thanks to Buffy Gorilla for her amazing production and the Scale team who make it all possible. See you next week.